Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to Rory Sutherland's On Brand, brought to you by Alf Insight. In each episode, we'll talk to the big names from the world of advertising, marketing, and media to dissect and debate success, ingenuity, and the future possibilities for our industry. Alf Insight has been bringing the media and marketing industry together for over 30 years through data and insight on the leading brands. And appropriate enough to celebrate and recognize the success of media sales and business development professionals within the industry, Alf has now launched a new set of awards showcasing the best teams, the best sales leaders, the rising stars, and more. So if you want to enter and see your commercial team as one of the best of the best, you can now visit alfawards.com. Once again, that's alfawards.com. Today, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by David Sandstrom, who's the Chief Marketing Officer for the Buy Now, Pay Later company, Klarna. Uh, the business was founded in Sweden in 2005, would you believe it, and now has an active consumer base of over 90 million global users, performing around 2 million transactions a day. It's astonishing. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Now, it's very interesting that there is some, obviously, there will always be some kind of pushback against the idea of buy now, pay later. But I will say one thing up front, which I think is worth making the point. It is kind of crazy that businesses, retail businesses, that can probably borrow at 3 or 4% are making their consumers pay credit card interest rates of 15 to 20% in order to defer payment. And so if I'm right, the way I understand it is that the way Klarna works is that the retailer pays you a small amount of money, essentially to allow the consumer to defer payment, typically for, what, three months. Is that right? And there are various options you offer, which is you can split the payment into three. So you pay a set amount every month for three months, or you can simply delay a payment. Um, uh, what's the relative popularity of the different modes of payment? It really depends on what you're purchasing, right? So if you're purchasing a pizza, it's probably not good to defer the payment, right? You should pay up front um, with what we call pay now. It's a simple paying for things solution, right? Whilst if you buy something that has longevity, so a flat screen TV or a TV is called nowadays, not flat screen anymore. <laughs> Everything is flat screen. Um, <laughs> you know, um, that, that has a longevity for 12 months or 24 months, it might make sense to split the payment over the same period of time, right? Well, I, I would argue it makes complete sense, which is if you buy a sofa or a television, you enjoy it over time. Yeah. So paying for it up front is to some extent unnecessary front weighting of the, of the cost versus the utility. Exactly. But you see that for clothing as well. Like we have the product of paying later, which basically means you get the product first and you pay 30 days later. And that's not only about deferring a payment. That is actually about getting the product first, being able to inspect the product, test the product, see, feel, try the product before you pay, right? Because to some extent, it doesn't make sense that you buy a pair of sneakers, you pay up front, and if you decide to return them, it takes you two weeks to get your money back. It's your money. It's like, it's... It's not a digitally optimized system that we're living in. Taking one step back, Rory, I mean, the financial industry and the financial system in itself is one of the most broken systems in the world. And we're trying to fix a small piece of that. Um, I thought it would be easier and I thought that people would be more welcoming, politicians and regulators. But um, yeah, 
we have some work to do. And it's, it's interesting in a way, which is that, and marketers tend to be, obviously, people who make marketing and business decisions tend to be, uh, you know, earning well above median income at the top. And one of the things I think they totally underplay is the extent to which maybe 50%, maybe 30% of the population, even in highly developed economies, are cash flow constrained. Yeah. So what what we know one of the one of the problems you would face, for example, would be let's say you ordered something and it failed to arrive. Well, for the the period in which you were sorting out the problem, uh, you would be unable to buy anything else, including a replacement, for example. Exactly. And I mean, in a perfect world, I guess you'd actually pay on delivery for mail order. Now the problem with that is that the logging of delivery by delivery companies isn't sufficiently reliable that you would end up with 5% of people pretending they never got something, essentially. <laughs> um, uh, you know, so, but it, it is in a sense, it, it's a, you know, it's, it's a hangover from mail order that you it pay is. in advance and get later. And um, in, in many ways, it's kind of uh, um, unnatural. Now, not, not everybody is successful here. So I think PayPal uh, does have a kind of deferred, uh, uh, they might be actually getting rid of their deferred payment. Uh, system is that right? Because they had a buy now pay later option. They're, they're actually launching it now. A pure Klarna ripoff is a hard word, but uh, a pure <laughs> Klarna copy. Uh, they're launching that right now in almost all of their markets. So I mean, the popularity amongst consumers and the appetite for a new way of paying for things that is optimized for mobile, that is optimized for online, that is optimized for new kind of behavior makes sense, right? We've connected the cycle of payments to the. Um, local cycle of um, salaries, right? So salary payouts yes. are often connected to our cycle. That is why our product in, in the UK is paying three and the uh, uh, product in the US is paying four because you get paid every other week, usually in the US, right? Um, so we try to connect it to human behavior. We try to connect it to mobile. We try to connect it to things that make sense, right? So there is a huge consumer appetite for what we have to offer. Um, but we're still facing resistance to some extent, right? And I, Rory, think the reason for that is if we look at this industry bluntly, which is a crazy industry, the world is paying $8 trillion yearly to pay. Like It costs the world $8 trillion yearly to transfer money, to manage money, to admin money, right? It is absolutely bonkers, right? And there are a lot of companies that make, obviously, tons of money here. Um, and they have lobbying organizations that are bigger than our entire workforce. And that is what we're seeing growing, right? As we grow in importance, not only us, but our competitors as well. We have competitors, they have lovely products as well, right? So, so I'm bundling us in, into kind of new alternative payment methods. It is met with a kind of resistance that I'm not used to. And the other thing you offer, which, by the way, I, is why I quite often use Klarna. Um, one of the important social problems I think you solve is this cash flow problem, where it's only recently that economists have kind of noticed that, oddly, it's expensive being poor. Because you tend cash flow constrains you mm -hmm. uh, to buy... Uh, you know, there, there's you know there's an argument you know which is one of the reasons poorer people tend to smoke is that although it's unbelievably expensive, it's affordable on a day by day basis. It's a recurrence of cheap treats, mm -hmm. if you like, and so as a result, you are forced by cash flow constraints to buy things that are cheaper and inferior than the things you would buy if you were able to uh, smooth the payments out. And I think I you know I think that one of the important things you do here is you do actually solve that problem to an extent. In other words, the number of decisions, I think, purchase decisions that are driven by cash flow mm -hmm. in a large proportion of the population rather than driven by what you might call long-term value, yep. I think is still too high. Um, there is an accusation which I think you occasionally face, which is that, not necessarily you, by the way, I think Klarna is generally better in this field, but some of the buy now, pay later companies are accused of profiting more from late payment fees mm -hmm. than they do from their core product. Yep. Is that an issue in the, in the category as a whole? It has been in the past, but I do think that is, I think those accusations are quite empty. In most of the markets, we don't even have late payment fees uh, or what we call negative fees, right? Yeah. The thing is, the big difference between us and a credit card company is that we have aligned business objectives with the consumer, right? So when a consumer repays us, we make money. When a consumer doesn't repay us, we get losses. 
which is bad for us, right? If you look at credit card companies, they do not want you to repay. They want you to repay a small proportion of what you owe and put the rest on what we call revolving credit. So that then gets transferred into the next month and you would have a compounding effect of that over time. And revolving credit is amongst the most vicious things there are. There are. Yeah, I, I completely agree. By the way, as a behavioral science guy, uh, one of the things, the brain completely underestimates the compounding effect. Yeah, exactly. It is like, that is what you never get out of, right? I've been in the yeah. industry for six years, which isn't too long, right? but I still can't figure out my Amex bill. I get an Amex bill, I know I own X, but they ask me to pay a 10th of X or a fifth of X, right? And then you start understanding, okay, what happens if, why don't, why wouldn't they want me to repay the full amount I owe? Is it because they're super nice and think they wanna help me somehow? Or might there be different objectives on, on the back end? And obviously they are, right? So what I'm saying is that most buy now, pay later companies we have aligned objectives with our consumers. A consumer that repays us is a good consumer because actually what we want, we want people to buy the next thing with Klarna as well and then the next thing with Klarna as well, right? Whilst the credit card companies, they do not want you to repay. I mean, I, th I think the extent to which the default minimum payment on credit cards was set at a level where even if you cut up your credit card, okay, it would take you something like 15 years or 20 years to repay the, the principal amount. Yeah, I think that was an abomination. I'm amazed that government allowed that to happen. I mean, one tip I can give to all our listeners, by the way, is on all your credit cards, you know, you need a bit of credit, but you can set a default minimum payment that's much higher. Now, I always assumed that if I set an £800 monthly payment, to my credit card that I'd have the problem that if I didn't use the credit card I'd get into credit and then the credit card would end up owing me money and it would be a mess. That's not true. If you set it at £800 and you only owe them 200 you only pay 200 And that's one of the simplest things you can do financially to sort your shit out, folks. Because it is, an, you know, I mean, it's inertia, essentially. You know, people go, oh, well, I've had a bit of an expensive month. I can't be bothered to make this payment. So I'll just let it roll on, you know, the, the minimum level of direct debit. And I mean, it also struck me as odd, by the way, this, this doesn't apply so much in the contactless world, but I suggested to several of our financial clients, you could give credit cards two separate PIN numbers or three, okay? And one of them is pay immediately for a pizza. Because you don't want to buy, you quite rightly said, you don't want to borrow money to buy a pizza, you consume it, it's gone, okay? Right. You probably do want to borrow money to buy a car and you said, you know, you may want to borrow money to buy a furniture or televisions or clothing, for example. And the interesting thing there is that no credit card offered you a choice of pay it all off, let it roll and pay it off in four. Now, that would have been technologically quite easy for credit card companies to do, but it wasn't in their interest to do so. No. And that is what we're building, Rory. Or rather, what we're building is not that advanced. What we're saying is that you will set an amount in the app. So our card is obviously connected to the app since we're a tech company. So we'll set an amount in the app saying anything below 100 bucks, I want to pay immediately. Everything above 100 bucks, I want to put on my Klarna account, right? So we're yeah. trying to, to approach that as well. So I think that makes a ton of sense. But I also want to stress that I do think a lot of the success with Klarna doesn't come from the fact that we offer a, a more modern and, and consumer-friendly credit. It is the convenience part. Every time we survey consumers about anything, you know, convenience trumps all the list, all the lists, right? Everything comes down to convenience. The hassle of getting your credit card, the hassle of not being pre-filled, the hassle of, you know, easy returns or stuff like that. Um, I wouldn't call people lazy, but but you and your knowledge, you probably have a better word for it. But convenience uh, we're, 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 is... We're cognitive, we're cognitive misers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 and you're absolutely... I mean, one of the little details I noticed when using Klarna is that when you type in your six-digit code, which has been texted to your phone, you don't even have to press enter or return. Once you enter the sixth digit correctly, you go. Tiny little things like that, actually when compounded, make a huge difference. Yeah. And we actually try to measure. We haven't found a good way of doing this. But, you know, at the core of what we promise is that we want to uh, we want to save people money, right? We do that in a variety of ways, fairer terms and conditions, you know, um, fairer APRs, but also giving people good deals and stuff like that. But we also want to save people time. 
So we've uh, started, and I'm happy to take your input on that as well, like how can we actually in a scientific way measure how much time we save people, right? We yes. did this small thought experiment of how much time I've spent in the recent five years of clicking accept all cookies. Like even if it takes me one, maybe two seconds, if I'm slow, it takes me two seconds every time I press accept all cookies on these every freaking website, right? Yeah. I've probably spent a day or two. I've probably spent a day or two on that. Uh, it's it's actually worse because I often actually browse the web on a huge 55-inch 4K TV. And the accept all cookies button is literally... <laughs> Four feet away, okay. And often I don't notice it, so I can't understand why the web page isn't working. <laughs> so it wastes me a frustrated minute before I notice there's a... Uh, was that the EU who was responsible for that? Yeah. I mean, it, well, it, it was both appallingly misconceived legislation, which protect, which doesn't protect the consumer at all, by the way, because you just, you're so frustrated, you just click accept all cookies, even if you're, you know, you know, I'd basically click accept all cookies if I were visiting the fucking KGB website, <laughs> you know, um, not that it's called something else now, they've rebranded it, haven't they? Um, but, you know, I mean, you, you know, literally, you know, you know, I, you know I'd, I'd accept all cookies from ISIS, right? So it doesn't protect the consumer at all. And it irritates the consumer. And to be honest, all it does is actually provide a sort of spurious legal defence for companies doing the wrong thing. Yeah. And uh, it, it really must have been the most ill-conceived legislation. And if you add that all up, yeah. it also has the problem that, you know, for... OK, let's look at it a bit more extremely. For elderly or... My father's quite an active web user, but he's... What is he? 91, right? You know, he's pretty damn good on the web. I'll give him his credit, right? But it, it just adds to this point where people who maybe have a disability or are more elderly suddenly find the web no longer usable. And I agree with you. I think it's an absolute abomination. Yeah. So um, measuring how much time we can save money from getting their credit cards or clicking a lot, filling out these hassle forms, like that, that, that to us is a core proposition. I'm quite excited about that. If that's a promise to the world that we're going to save people time, think that's a nice thing to do because people do not want to spend their time on filling out forms i presume very few of us do there's another function you could probably add which is um i mean one function you you do offer i suppose is that if you buy a lot of things on klarna you actually have a one-page view of what you've bought and what you're expecting because i think there's a very interesting thing uh with e-commerce which is i always noticed and i always suspected this that at christmas e-commerce kind of hits its cognitive ceiling which is there's a limit to how much you can have delivered before, first of all, your front drive turns into a logistics hub. Because you have one, one, one complaint I do have with e-commerce is I think you should be able to choose at a fee, but you should be able to choose who delivers your shit. OK, of course. So, you know, it's very unusual for me to criticize Amazon because if one company gets customer service right. But when I order a USB cable, I would pay Amazon a pound just to put it in the Royal Mail. OK, because the postman's coming to my house anyway. The thing goes through the letterbox. I don't want a van driving to my house, you know, uh, just to get a USB cable. The other thing is I know what time of day the postman comes. He knows what to do if I'm not there. You know, there are certain things where I think consumers should have more control over the mode of delivery. And I think that's a mistake. You know, it's probably not decided by the marketing department. It's decided by the logistics guy who's only interested in cost saving. And I think you'd sell a lot more, by the way, if you offered people yeah. more choice over both speed and also the mode of delivery. You know, there are certain things of certain sizes I want Royal Mail to do it. You know, uh, you know, I like my yeah. postman. He's a nice guy. And, you know, he knows exactly what to do under unusual circumstances. And... Um, I also think there's a you know there's there's a value in Klarna in actually being able to see what it is you've ordered and when it's going to arrive, um, because I actually Shopify does this very well with the Shop app, because I think there's a natural cognitive limit, and I think at Christmas many consumers hit it, which is I'm you know I can't order anything more online because I genuinely can't cope with keeping track of all this stuff anymore. You know, and it, you know, obviously that's, you know, but that is, that does seem to me, because I mean, it must have happened during the pandemic. I mean, I've, I've got a little question here written down, actually, which is the, the past couple of years have probably accelerated the drive towards e-commerce. Mm -hmm. And that must have been beneficial to you. Did it also pose challenges? Yeah, I mean, extreme growth always comes with challenges, right? But, but from a, if we want to stick slightly to marketing and branding, I, I think the biggest challenge for us has been that 
with the extreme growth or with size comes some kind of responsibility, right? We've grown from this niche Nordic bank 10 years ago uh, yeah. that catered to e-commerce into, in all fairness, if you look at our brand recognition in the UK and in the US, we're well above 50%. We're turning into some sort of household brand, right? And when you're big, that comes with a responsibility. We're not, as you said, the, the misconception around Klarna is that we are catering to a 21-year-old shopaholic. It couldn't be more wrong, right? Many, many, yeah. many different demographics use us. But in the pandemic, and where I'm getting to is like, we're getting big, we're becoming a household brand. How do you speak to the 21-year-old and your dad at the same time? Like, and how do you do that in a coherent brand? And how, how do you make that work? That's one thing. The expansion across, we're now live in 20 markets, uh, expanding into new markets on a monthly basis. The age-old question around centralized brand versus regional and localized brand. And when it comes to payments, Rory, money is highly regional, right? There is a reason we don't have a lot of uh, global consumer banks because payments, you know, payments used to be the, you know, you, you, you went to your bank um, in your local town. Uh, right, that that was it. Right, you didn't have a need for a global. So, so that kind of how. Do you... And by the way, the attitude towards credit is unbelievably uh, variable culturally, isn't it? Crazy. Like you the know. U.S. is built on credit. Everyone. Yeah, the U.S. is credit. entirely built on it. Germany and the Netherlands completely no. different approach. Completely yeah. different. So, so you're right. So, so that global regional. Uh, it was only I think six years ago. You could, except at Schiphol Airport and Amsterdam Central, you couldn't buy a rail ticket on the Dutch rail network mm. with Visa or MasterCard. <laughs> and, oh, it's, uh... know, what, what the hell is this? You know? <laughs> and, uh, and, and Ryanair, I think, for various countries, I think Germany, has to have this really weird direct from bank payment system. Exactly. Uh, that is actually ours as well, Rory. It's called Zofor. Oh, that's your, that, you, that you actually operate that for yes. Ryanair, do you? Yeah, yeah. It's Very interesting. The was, asking, what, the, what the hell is this? And of course, it's a certain number of Germans basically regard credit cards as the work of Beelzebub. Yeah. And um, I, I, I mean, by the way, it's very important, when, just a tip, because Germans carry so much cash, it's very important that you, when you travel as a tourist, that you don't give anybody the impression you're German because you get mugged at a disproportionately high rate. So, you know, don't wear a mullet or anything like that. You know, it's a bad move. Um, but, um, uh, but uh, I mean, they will. I mean, Germans now will walk around with 500 euros in their pocket in cash. Yeah. You know, you know I, don't, I don't think I've done that for ever, actually. No, but we actually did research here in Sweden where we asked people if they recognized the actual uh, money. Right, because they've. Uh, I think we launched some new bills a couple of years ago, and most young people they do not recognize the money. They've never seen the coins or the bills or the like. They they've never seen it, and I think that like that is something you must know a lot about. But that has to affect how people spend because digital money, in all fairness, is easier to spend. Is it is less? It's you know. And we're less, we're less price sensitive. I mean, we're less. There's a wonderful behavioral economics experiment where apparently uh, if you have a donation box at a cathedral, OK, and you simply put, you know, I mean, obviously, you, you know, you can donate by credit card, but simply the presence of the Visa and MasterCard logo increases the average donation in coins because it reframes our idea of expense. So if we see Visa or MasterCard as a logo, we think, you know, three, four pounds is a kind of reasonable donation. Whereas if we see it as a purely cash thing, we put in a quid. Yeah. And right. so you're absolutely right. And actually, actually, this has probably contributed quite significantly to the extraordinary growth of premiumization. Mm -hmm. Even in things like packaged goods brands, you notice that a lot of the growth of the big packaged goods manufacturers have come through premiumization. And a part of that is probably... Uh, you know, I mean, I mean. Uh, by the way, I think cash was slightly biased towards spending too little. Uh, you know, you know, because you thought you you didn't buy things not because you didn't want them or they weren't worth it, but you were frightened of running out of cash. Mm -hmm. You know, you actually handed over a physical thing, and credit cards are probably biased in 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 favour of spending too much. Very complicated, by the way. Have a look at the work of George Lowenstein, who's a behavioural scientist. And he said that we're very conscious in economics and in public policy of effectively spendthrifts who are people who basically overspend. Mm -hmm. But he said, actually, they're quite a small minority and they're outnumbered 
by what he called in technical terms skin flints in that there are far more people who actually spend too little in other words they would be better off if they were less pained by making purchases and in fact skin flints a defensive marketing is that skin flints actually outnumber spendthrifts something like two to one wow um and so, you know, now, you know, this is a very economic view, which simply says that, you know, and there are certain people who's just unwillingness to engage in transactions. And, and sometimes, by the way, I think that is it. Klarna spotted that because it's because the transactions are painful. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I mean, one area where I think there's huge scope for Klarna to expand is in the airline industry and the travel industry. Because if you've gone to all the trouble of booking a flight, okay, and then your credit card is playing up, you're left in this massive quandary. And to some extent, you, what you want to do is, OK, I'm going to sort out the payment of this. I'm going to defer payment, you know, in case I need a refund or change my mind or something like that. But, you know, then if there's a problem with my credit card with Klarna, I can sort that out over time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, or transfer money from somewhere. Yeah. But no, it, it, it is very interesting. So tell me about the origins. So you were an obscure Swedish financial institution which just decided to focus exclusively on online transactions. Is that right? That is basically it. That's the, that's the boilerplate, at least. But um, yeah. when we started out, um, what we saw a huge gap in the, in the market for was trust. Right. And I yeah. still think that's there to some extent. But, you know, the, um, the brands that did e-commerce back then weren't the biggest brands in the world. Um, you know, card payments, online payments, shipping, all of that was fairly risky, right? You, you were ordering something from a shady Estonian e-commerce uh, store, right? What, would the package show up? Would they skim your card? What would happen, right? So I think, and we still are very much in the industry of trust, right? We took the risk away from consumers by saying, hey, you get your goods first, you pay later. And we took the risk away from the retailers saying, hey, we'll pay you upfront the money. And you took, you took away the risk, by the way, because one of the reasons, I think, why Amazon enjoys a psychological monopoly is that most consumers accept, OK, I've got to give my credit card details to Amazon. Mm -hmm. OK, I can't function online. And every time they buy from someone who isn't Amazon, they feel I'm exposing myself to an additional level of risk. Exactly. And so rather like Shopify, I think, you do play an important part in the diversification of online commerce. Exactly. But, but just going back to that, that example, Rory, it is just that system is stupid as well. Because yeah. if you look at how we operate, technology makes it very easy to shuffle your credit card number digitally and shuffle your BIN number uh, digitally for every purchase, right? That is what we call a one-time card. Yeah. There is no reason you should have a hard-coded credit card number that you use everywhere with the same security measures everywhere. Like, that just doesn't make sense. We should digitally just shuffle that all the time. So even if your card gets skimmed, it gets skimmed for one transaction. Now if it's get, it gets skimmed, like, you're screwed. 
I think, if I'm right, the technical term for that is a nonce. Is that right? A number used only once, which is hysterically funny in Britain, where nonce actually means a child sex offender. Um, <laughs> but Because uh, I, I keep getting told that, that my nonce has expired uh, by, a, by, by some part of Outlook, which is uh, slightly alarming. You know, did he die of natural causes? Um, but, but no, I mean, that you're absolutely right. It's extremely easy to do that. Yeah. What we noticed in research is that a large number of consumers were reserving a credit card that was close to the expiration date which was the one they used online because they felt less threatened by yeah. it than using a card that had four years to run and so on yeah yeah it's it's crazy what people come up with in order to solve things that are easily solvable if you're just like slightly tech savvy digitally native and actually understand the consumers like I, i'm not sure that consumers and banks as we know them have lived on the same planet for the last 20 years like they're just worlds apart when it comes to the experience they offer and the terms they offer and the way, like, try calling your bank, getting support. Are you scared that Shopify might do effectively create its own Klarna? Is that a risk or? Well, they're trying that as well, right? Everyone's trying. Yeah, like, everyone's do you know trying. what, Rory, what I'm more afraid of is TikTok creating its own Klarna, right? Because ah. commerce in the way that we think about it is being reshaped right now. Right now, we have a system, if I'm exaggerating, where we try to drive traffic to a digital store where we then show products. Or rather, the inspiration, curation, and expiration is very separated from the actual transaction and is very separated from actual reviews and information, right? What is happening is the merge of all of these different platforms into TikTok, maybe into Instagram, where, where we see things as shoppable content. So I actually do think... Coming back to what we talked about with convenience, right? People do not yeah. want to explore a dress on TikTok, then go read about it on a blog and then buy it somewhere else. Like they want that, you know, they want it in the same experience. So Shopify is already doing that. I think Shopify is a fantastic company. We work a lot with them. I, I think they're great in many ways. Yeah. If you ask me like where the real big competition is going to come from in the next couple of years, it's TikTok. So you'd, you'd see, funnily enough, TikTok being a Chinese origin company, you'd see, uh, in a sense, what already exists in China, where one platform essentially provides multiple functionality from booking a taxi to paying things to sending money to sharing social media to praising the regime or whatever it may be. Okay. Exactly. You can see the kind of signification yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Of, uh, of the app universe. That's quite it. That is really and that is going to happen. And I don't think you can read a single article about a company right now that is not launching their super app. You get sick and tired of hearing about super apps because we yeah. don't really have one in the Western world, uh, you know, like WeChat in China. Um, no. But that is coming. That is most definitely coming because I think conversions of all of these, you can't have 48 apps in your phone, right? No. And the. Um, uh, don't, don't don't get me started on parking apps. No, exactly. Where and I, that's the where I have thing. a separate a separate little cluster on my phone for about nine parking apps. Yeah, it's crazy. But also the fact that if you you know reinstall your phone or uh, switch your phone, you have to log in to all of these forty eight different apps, and there is a password for Facebook and a password for Instagram and a password for the parking app and for this and for that. Like what WeChat has is they have a universal login to everything you need. And they have universal payment credentials to everything you need. And they have a profile on you that understands your shipping method, what you like, right? It is the one login to the internet, right? They, they've just taken all of the apps that you have in your phone, bundled them and made it more convenient. No, I mean, it, it's interesting in a sense that Facebook never added that kind of functionality as you might have expected maybe three years ago. Yeah. I actually thought that Facebook would pivot at some point in time. I'm not sure what I thought that to become almost the universal identifier for the internet, like almost a your pa your internet passport, right? There was yeah, a point yeah. in time. It's still around to some extent where it's like sign in with Facebook. Yeah. I yeah. thought they would have refined the sign in with Facebook to an extent where it's like th this is your passport. This is your internet passport, right? This is what yeah. you use as unique identifier online that knows about. What they did with all the data was they optimized the programmatic banner solution instead. So, so they went down a different path. <laughs> Maybe less value to the world, I would argue. Also, I suppose, because their stock price depended on new signups, 
the last thing it paid them to do was to actually verify that these were real people in any shape or form. Um, but no, I mean, that, that you're right. I mean, I, you can see, I think, if when we look back on the development of the internet, around payment, around delivery. Um, I also think, by the way, that one of the things that government will have to do is create a locker system for delivery because everything going last mile simply doesn't work environmentally or economically. No. So someone needs to step in and create effectively an open access locker network for delivery. Yeah, I think the Dutch have some plan. I mean, Dutch, Holland has the advantage of being the most densely populated country in Europe, which helps. Um, and it's flat, so you can cycle there. But I mean, I think there are, there are these coordination problems, which the internet's been actually really, really bad at solving. I mean, payments, delivery, as you said, identity and passwords are all still a disaster area. I mean, this is 26 years later, yeah. right? 28 years later. But it also comes later. from the fact that someone has a slightly better idea on a daily basis. And when that happens over 26 years' time, you get quite a lot of ideas to solve this, right? There is yeah. no coordination, as you said, but also no real incentive to work together. And no. the, the, I think the difficult part, if you, if you become a, a bit philosophical, is that the internet has no borders. But when it comes to legislation, it has natural borders. Of course. So finding legislation between the UK, US, and I don't know, any African country is not going to be easy, right? But the internet doesn't care. So how do you legislate in a world that is, you know, regionally dependent globally? It's just, it's hard. Have you found a, a big disparity in how different markets have adopted Klarna? Are some markets just more positive than others? I mean, you brought up a good point right before that the US is built on credit, the, the Europe isn't really built on credit. So the understanding of why credit is important, how it is important, what role it plays in, in everyday life, you have a deeper understanding of that in the US, right? But I would rather, you know, say that new markets have adopted us better than old markets, right? We've pivoted our, as any tech company, we've pivoted our strategy 20 times in the last 15 years. Um, and that means that we have a vastly different position and proposition and role to play now than we did 15 years ago. But in Sweden, you know, changing the notion of what Klarna is, how Klarna works and what Klarna offers is extremely hard. Like, you know this better than anyone else, but, you know, changing old opinions is just extremely hard. Um, and especially like the people who are mostly opinionated about us are people who never use us. And that's the hard thing as well. I wouldn't mind if people who use us on a daily basis say, hey, this is how I feel about you. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. But usually people who are opinionated are people that haven't used us for the last six years. Because you actually did an advertising campaign last year, didn't you, around the whole Mythbusters idea? Exactly. Which was exploding the general misconceptions that people... I mean, it's fair to say, I ought to be fair as an impartial person, there are one or two cases where I know that Klarna is slightly abused. And this is from one of my daughter's friends, okay, who says very simply, she said, if I go to my dad and say, can I buy a pair of shoes? He says, no. If I go to my dad and say, I've bought a pair of shoes and now I can't afford to pay for them and it's going to damage my credit score, my dad sighs and he pays up, <laughs> okay. So, there, you know, there are undoubtedly, you know, as with all credit, there are ways in which yeah. it can be seriously abused. And there is also the risk of, I mean, you know, I, I imagine there's the risk of people damaging credit scores here. Is that fair? You know, is there a fear, this may be a myth-busting thing, is there a fear that by using Klarna, your financial institutions will look at you askance or will, uh, you know... No. Um, no, that's, no, that's interesting. There is not, right? Uh, but as you say, and we take this obviously extremely seriously, there, there are people who try to abuse our system as well, right? Um, yeah. But it's also fair to say these are the same people that try to abuse any kind of system to get to these shoes, right? This is not yes. a Klarna problem. This is not a new age problem. These are people who, you know, th there are other factors at play here, right? And we create, obviously, we create systems that try to outsmart as many people as possible. But again, I mean... When, when it comes to money and finances, it's a sensitive topic. It is absolutely fascinating because one of the things un is undoubtedly true is this compound interest problem mm -hmm. uh, is uh, posing, I think, enormous problems for a huge swathe of the population. And as you, you know, as, as we observed, you know, it's companies that can borrow money at three percent or allowing their customers to borrow at sixteen. 
I mean, this is kind of nuts. Mm -hmm. And you're absolutely right. I've always felt for a long time that there was a halfway house between pay now and pay indefinitely that was very, very badly needed. Yeah. Because you you know, you effectively had this bifurcated choice, which was you either put all the money up front, you know, charge card, um, debit card, which for certain sorts of purchase is totally inappropriate. Holidays, for example. Or you effectively put it into this rolling Neverland of, you know, effectively endlessly spiralling interest payments if you weren't careful. And I, I think the um, uh, so it's paying four in the States, is it? And it's and it's it's it four four. It's four two-week periods in the U.S. Because is that right? Because people yeah, you, you pay one fourth straight away, so one fourth yes. up front, and then uh, every two weeks until you hit four payments in total. So six Got weeks it. in total in the U.S. Got it. I see. Yeah, and then we're paid monthly. I didn't realize that distinction. Yeah. I'm yeah. Yeah, and no, I I've think that's fairly smart. But, but I think the the biggest issue with revolving credit is that you don't know what it's going to cost. Very, very, very few people have the ability to calculate APRs in their heads. The APR changes over time, depending on how much you owe. Like even you and I, Rory, would have a very hard time figuring out how much we owe at the end of that revolving road, right? What I like with at some weird level, I'm still paying for a pizza that I bought in 2003. (laughs) You know, at some crazy level, it's rather like these wonderful statistics, which is I think the British government paid off World War One in something like 1997. You know, the the last payment for, for yeah. you know, the last payment for the United States for, you know, something or other, you know, was paid sort of three years ago. Um, and, you, you know, you suddenly realise that we're engaging in exactly the same long term borrowing without being consciously aware of it, because the individual product just dissolves into a morass of aggregate debt. Exactly. And over time, usually what happens with revolving credit is that you've paid more for the credit than for the product. Yeah. Which is absolutely mind blowing and should be made illegal, in my opinion. What I like with fixed term repayments is you don't have to talk in percentages. You can talk in absolute terms. People don't have to calculate percentages. You could say, hey, this is going to cost you 20 pounds over this period of time. It's going to total up to this amount. Right. Everyone understands that it's fair. It's transparent. It's well needed. And also it does offer you choice, by the way. You can do pay now and use it purely as a convenience product. You can defer in one of two ways sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, it depends, exactly. as you said. But no, I mean, that, and you, as you quite rightly said, it's completely transparent and not unreasonably. Um, because if you think about this, this is, this is a fairly big collective benefit for uh, online retailers because in a sense, they're making more money for credit card companies at present than they are for themselves. Exactly. And uh, collectively, that's crazy. I, mean, I, I think often, Amex I often, often comes with like 4 or 5% fee, which is absolutely crazy. Like payments are expensive, Rory. They're expensive. It's it's a huge blow to the bottom line for a lot of e-commerce, uh, e-commerces. So, so um, I mean, quite often, by the way, do you demand exclusivity? Because quite often there are other things. There's the Australian one. I think yep. it's called Later Pay, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and quite often I notice retailers have two or three of these options available. You don't demand exclusivity, do you, with retailers? Or is that sometimes... You know what? We actually used to, in the beginning, demand exclusivity. But over time, I don't believe in that, right? I think there should be choice. What I do think is that uh, retailers should build smart algorithms that understand that, hey, you seem to love PayPal and Visa. I seem to love Klarna and MasterCard. And it shows, right? On the back end, I think retailers should have every single payment method available because we do know, and I'm getting very nerdy and detailed, but, you know, um, having the wrong payment method or payment options or having the wrong shipping options are the biggest blows to abandoned baskets. People come to the checkout, they see, I don't like the shipping option or they don't have my payment method. Screw it. I'll, I'll go somewhere else. I call that, and it's an unbelievable design flaw, I call it motorway service station choice architecture. And I don't know if this is familiar in Sweden. You probably have much better motorway service stations. But you drive into the motorway service station. You've been going at 70 miles an hour. Suddenly you get a load of signs that basically go lorry park, hotel, dining, caravans, cars. Now, the vital thing is, if you make one mistake, you're doomed. There's no way, if you turn into the lorry park, basically, there is no way of getting back into the car park, you know, and you end up completely trapped. And the number of the number of online commerce sites, which only tell you the delivery date 
too late. Mm. Okay, strikes me as completely bizarre. It is. It really uh, is. It, you know, because you, you're there, you know, you're, you're just about, you know, you're just about keen to make a purchase, and then it suddenly tells you it's going to take 10 days to arrive. And you have to go all the way back. Yeah, and they see benefits from putting payment options, shipping options, and return up front. options up front on the front page. Uh, absolutely, because this is one of the things I was, uh, you know, in many cases, the existence of a Klarna option will be decisive in my propensity to pay. Yeah. Because I don't have to give my credit cards to some weirdo, you know. You know, there's some server in a shed somewhere, right? And yet what is so bizarre is that websites seem to be completely sort of bipolar in that uh, the shipping and the payment information is reserved until a moment where it's too late. That's why I call it the motorway service station thing. You know, by the time you realise you've made a mistake, it's too late. So um, thank you for saying that, because it's always struck me as a complete anomaly. You know, if you went to a hotel site or, a you know, or you went to an airline site and it said, here are the five ways you can pay. The other thing they never do, by the way, is airline sites is say, and this is, a, by the way, quite an important one. I think no penalty cancellation within two hours of a, yeah. a booking would be a really important thing to advertise up front, because I'm always terrified when I book a flight. Um uh, that, you know, I'll book the flights and goes very smugly to my wife and say, I've saved £27. And she'll say, we can't go on Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. And um, so giving people also the feeling that actually this isn't a completely one-way street. Yeah. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we're seeing that. I mean, the, the consumers have so many choices nowadays, so it really matters who presents them in the best way. No, this is. I, I think that's important. Do you, do you have success at persuading your clients to do that? Because it does strike me as a weird one, which is that information I actually need now is bizarrely reserved, so you have to make a pretend purchase to find out. Yeah, I mean, some are more, more open than others. Um, we know that you know there's a lot of information competing. Right. They sometimes need to choose between, Okay, do I show the consumers that Klarna is available or do I show them my latest offer of, you know, 30 percent off or do I show them something else? Right. That's one thing. I think what's good and what what the big difference between a brick and mortar store is, is that we have extreme A-B testing capabilities. So everything we we never roll anything out 100 percent. We always run out. You know, we test it in different batches towards different target audiences. We optimize tens and thousands of different assets every day. Um, If you had a, you know, brick and mortar shopping window, it's harder, right? Because you have to make a choice. Like, do I hang my Klarna sign here or do I hang my 30 percent off sign here? We optimize that. Right. And and then we just follow this. Even at the icon size level, I think it would have an effect personally. Yeah. So I'm very conscious of time. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to ask one very final question. Yep. What do you think the future holds for Klarna? Is the sky the limit? What's yeah, the, I, uh... I think the sky's the limit. Like if we take a big step back, I do think there's room to create some sort of global standard, a global new standard for paying, banking and shopping online. I don't think there is a global standard. As you said, the Internet has been added for 26 years. There are very few standards. I do think there could be a global standard. If we look at what I'm more excited about short term, I think there is a huge opportunity. We touched upon it slightly to humanize e-commerce right now. It's crazy, right? If you want to buy a bag that costs you, I don't know, a thousand pounds, they show you five images of that bag and then they ask you to pay. Right. (laughs) There is no peer to peer recognition. There's no emotion around it. And that keeps me coming back to the TikTok experience, like having someone reviewing the bag, some entertainment around the bag. You know, I think the merge of entertainment and online shopping and reviews. If you want to buy a drone, Rory, you want to talk to the nerdiest nerd on the planet about what drone to buy. Right. You don't want to see one. I've got to confess. (laughs) But yeah, yeah. No, no, but that kind of humanizing e-commerce, I think e-commerce will plateau if we don't do that. I, I call this the doorman fallacy, which is that the whole of Silicon Valley is obsessed with replacing the hotel doorman with an automatic door without realizing that the doorman isn't only there to open the door. Yeah. What Silicon Valley does is it defines functions in a way that is most suited to automation, ignores anything that's extraneous to its own definition, and then replaces humans with algorithms without asking what's been lost in the process. Exactly. And and that's what we're seeing, right? Um, yeah, because unfortunately, it is really sold on the back of creating un, of, of job removal. Yeah. But why wouldn't you have a simple feature that is ask a friend? The thing yeah. is, if you go back 20 years, 
People went to malls. They went to malls in groups. The biggest thing was peer-to-peer -peer recognition. Understanding, yeah. if I buy these sneakers, will Rory like them? Will my best friends like that? Like, who's going to like these sneakers? Yet, when we survey people, e-commerce is one of the most lonely things you can do. It's you, it's your screen, and it's the product. You know nothing about how your friends is, uh, are going to react. Like, just a simple, hey, quick survey. Are my peers going to like this? Who's going to like that? Like, that's things like that. I'm extremely excited about humanizing e-commerce. Yeah, I completely agree. I think there are a whole load of areas of e-commerce where the efficiency gains have blinded us to the emotional losses. Yeah. And, th you know, merchandising, you know, the relative presentation of products. I mean, this grid system is actually a value disaster. You know, every physical retailer knows you have hero products and you have ancillary products, okay? And yet this presentation of items on a grid, you know, uh, tends to, uh, you know, I think, it and, and actually, I mean, I, th I think, um, you know, Amazon actually diminishes brand value by randomly uh, inserting, you know, no-name products in amongst branded products. I think there's a, you know, there's a lot of uh, margin there as well. And I, I completely agree with you. I think there's there's enormous scope to make. And actually, you're quite right, delivery as well. Well, all that remains for me to say is that's absolutely fantastic. Uh, that's all for this episode of On Brand. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by Alf Insight. And for more information on powering your business growth, just visit their website at alfinsight.com. That's A-L-F-insight.com. Uh, the series is, as ever, produced and expertly edited by Ultimate Sound and Vision. So big shout out to them. And to make sure you receive the next episode, please do subscribe. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, then give us a like. It helps some sort of algorithm or other. So all that remains for me to say is thank you for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.